Captains! Thank you for nominating Priority One Podcast for Best Gaming and Best Produced Podcast in the 9th Annual Podcast Awards. Now we need your ongoing support by voting for Priority One Podcast once a day, every day until November 15th. Visit podcastawards.com and vote for Priority One Podcast in the Best Gaming and Best Produced categories. You can also support our friends, Mission Log Podcast, by voting for them in the Best Entertainment Podcast category. Remember, you can vote once a day, every day, until November 15th at podcastawards.com. Sign up for a daily newsletter reminder at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And thank you for your ongoing support. Without you, none of this would be possible. Bandwidth for Priority One Podcast is brought to you by Playa Escondida. Ever dreamed of visiting Planet Risa? Well, Playa Escondida is the ultimate beach resort excursion. Visit PlayaEscondida.com to book your ultimate vacation getaway. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 149 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded Thursday, November 7th, 2013, live on trekradio.net and available for download or streaming on Monday mornings at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Elliot. Elliot! Elijah! It's good to have you back on the show. Thanks. It's good to be had. Now, for those of you that may not remember, who have but have been listening for quite some time, Elliot is actually the puppet master uh, for Priority One. Uh, he is the head honcho that makes all the final decisions, and he will be joining me this episode uh, as James is working and uh, Tony is ill. All right, Elliot, what do we have in store this week? Well, this week we trek out the Yahoo Replicator. In STO News, things gear up for the launch of Season 8 with our new dev blogs. Uh, in field notes this week, Matthew486DX drops a knowledge bomb on PVE AOE damage versus direct damage. What's better, scatter volley, cannon rapid fire, beam overload, fire at will, etc.? As always, we'll open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming from you, our listeners. Captains, we cannot express to you how humbled and honored we are here at Priority One Podcast that you would nominate us for this year's ninth annual podcast awards. Because of your nomination, your votes, Priority One Podcast was nominated out of 4,400 entries in two categories, Best Produced and Best Gaming Podcast. Now, we're up against some fierce competition, but let's show the world once again that Star Trek fans are some of the most dedicated and loyal people out there. By the time this recording hits your ears on Monday, November 11th, there will be less than five days to cast your vote. So, for the next few days, we have a very special high-priority order from Starfleet Command. We need you to vote daily for Priority One Podcast 
on podcastawards.com. We can even help remind you with daily emails, which you can sign up for by visiting priorityonepodcast.com. Remember, visit podcastawards.com daily until November 15th and cast your vote for Priority One Podcast in this year's ninth annual Podcast Awards. Also, please support our friends Mission Log Podcast by voting for them in the Best Entertainment category. Captains, don't forget that PriorityOnePodcast.com offers more than just podcasts. In her latest edition of Observer's Log, Candace Zanzinger introduces you to the concept of costuming. So if you're planning on attending a convention and want to go as a Starfleet officer, then check out her blog. Only on PriorityOnePodcast.com. As a matter of fact, you too can join the team at PriorityOnePodcast.com as a guest blogger and share your opinions, your reviews, perhaps your special tips and tricks. If you're interested, just reach out to us via email at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. That's right. Priority One, the fleet. We are growing a small but tenacious in-game community, and we want you to be part of it. Join us with Justin Alt or with all of your captains. Contact at McLeod, that's M-A-C-L-E-O-D, or at the MacGurthy, D-M-A-C-G-I-R-T-H-Y, via tell or in-game email for your invite today. Or you can join us in the Priority One chat channel. Just type forward slash channel underscore join face Priority One. Well, let's get ready to trek it out. I don't know. Then let's break it out. Computer. Replicator. Or realsies. Yahoo. That's right. Not Google. Yahoo has created a machine using 3D printing that comes within striking distance of our beloved replicators. To quote from the Gizmodo article, Transporters aside, replicators featured in Star Trek The Next Generation were one of the most tantalizing pieces of future technology one could imagine. Whatever you asked the computer for magically appeared before your eyes. And it looks like Yahoo has created a similar machine for students at a school for the visually impaired in Japan. The cloud-shaped contraption lets anyone ask Yahoo's search engine a query. But instead of returning a list of websites to visit, the custom software hunts for 3D models which are then immediately printed out. In a way, it bridges the visual and physical worlds, providing visually impaired users with a tactile 3D response to their search. They have an actual video on, on the site of, of kids using this device, and it's, it just looks awesome. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to check it out yet, but it, it looks like a cloud. It's a, it's a giant, basically desk-sized cloud that you walk up to, press a giant red button, and say, Dinosaur, and it 3D prints... Uh, dinosaur or triceratops. It'll 3D print a, print a triceratops, and then you can actually get your hands on it. And uh, if you're visually impaired, I mean, that's you know what a great boon to be able to actually touch the thing and feel. Oh, okay. There's three horns. I don't have to imagine what that would feel like as a five-year-old. I can touch it and feel it. This whole 3D printing thing. At first, I thought was going to just be a gimmick. You know, like something that was just going to pass like 3D TVs. But it's picking up a lot more. Uh, I think it was on Taco Fang's Facebook that he, he had reposted about uh, that soon technology would be able to build a house in like 28 hours. A 3D printer would, um, you know, massive scale, of course, house scale, would be able to build this one story, one level home in just a little over a day. I think that's insanity. Well, you've, you've seen the 3D printed pizza, haven't you? I have not seen 3D printed pizza, no. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's even closer to the actual replicator. It, it basically, instead of putting in a resin packet or canister uh, for the device to melt down and extrude, you put in the raw materials for pizza dough, and then you put in pizza sauce, and 
you know, various combinations, and then it, it will go ahead and extrude it and uh, bake it on the way out. It's really, really pretty impressive. It's the only thing it makes, mind you. It's proof of concept that you can actually one day walk up and say, T Earl Grey hot. That's phenomenal. I had no idea about this 3D print pizza thing. That's super cool. I, uh, I remember walking into a mall and there was like a little car that was selling the 3D printers and it, you know, it was very expensive, uh, just like a kiosk, but who knows? I mean, this clearly has traction, uh, so invest wisely. All right, so we're, we're going to add this one little tidbit to this week's Trek It Out. There is a website out there called Scroll Down to Riker. So earlier in the summer when Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke was a huge hit, there's this one part of the lyric that goes, Well, rhymes with hug me. <laughs> you know, whatever. He doesn't know what rhymes with hug me. Haha, <laughs> very funny. Blah, blah, blah. So they put, there's a website up called What Rhymes With Hug Me. And it's it's funny. You know, they do, they do a lyric of What Rhymes With Hug Me. But I found one better. Okay. This one is called ScrollDownToRiker.com. And when you click the link, there is a picture of Commander Riker. And as you scroll down, he starts to grin at you in that Riker suave grin smile of his. And then he will say a pickup line that he says in the show. It's a line in the show. It's super funny. And I hope the creator of this website will start adding more taglines and captions to this because this is pure genius, pure comedic genius. Captains, be sure to check that out. Uh, of course, links will be in the show notes. It's scroll down to Riker.com. And the links to the Gizmodo article will also be in our show notes as well. Discover something you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about? Well, send it over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Let's move on and check out what happened in Star Trek Online News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. In Season 8... Devblog 15, STO's senior character artist Joe Jing explains Worf's morph from old and busted to new hotness for the latest featured episode, Sphere of Influence. If there's one thing Cryptic is known for, it's amazing customized character creation toolset. However, according to Jing, there were key details missing to make a convincing Michael Dorn as Worf. He goes on to explain that the art team referenced several on-screen incarnations of Worf and added new textures and features to better replicate Worf's ridges, facial details like grooves under his eyes and cheekbones. Ultimately, I think it's safe to say that this is by far one of the closest likenesses we've seen in the game. And when adding Michael Dorn's voice into the mix, well, it makes for a very exciting featured episode. I think they did better with his likeness in the game than they did with Denise Crosby. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's a little easier because he has that great makeup appliance to work with, you know. Uh, but I, I agree. I mean, it's really pretty spot on. All right, Captains. On Friday, November 1st, community manager Brandflakes ran a Season 8 live stream preview of The Sphere. If you missed it, you can catch it by visiting Perfect World's twitch.tv channel at perfect world underscore community all one word links of course will be in the show notes uh elliot did you get a chance to watch this at all uh, or have you experienced any of the missions on tribble uh, actually i haven't i haven't been on uh, on tribble since we were on redshirt last i've been avoiding it you know I, I want to experience this firsthand on tuesday when this hits but i'm uber excited I, I can't say it enough how excited i am to get my boots on the ground and fight the Voth in this mass team effort, you know? 
Um, I, I got a chance to watch a, a good chunk of Brandon's recording. And just to see him fight through this armada of players was just awesome. It really was. It was amazing. I've talked about how this is the first time in a long time that I've really wanted to just get down on the ground and play these missions. Uh, and after watching this, I, seriously, man, I, uh, I may call off work on Tuesday. Yeah, I think the last time I was I was really excited about ground was right before New Romulus launched. Um, you know, because that that whole adventure zone really kind of opened up a new style of Stow gameplay for me. I, I mean, I'm still not really a ground person, um, but but uh, when I got when I first got my my hooks into New Romulus, I was just I was just blown away. I, 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 it really felt like the game had turned a corner and there were great things ahead for the ground game. You know what I would like to see is something I was observing in the live stream was Brandon was on the ground and he was looking. I, he, he looked up for a moment. And you know what I would love to see? I'd love to look up into the sky and maybe they'll have this and see the ship battles going on in the distance. You know, because yeah. the the map looks a little close, right? Like you're, you're, you're up above the ground and... I would just love to look up and see these starships battling in the distance while I'm on the ground battling the Voth trying to do territory control. I mean, talk about immersion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, scripted events, uh, you know, all uh, Call of Duty 2, 1 and 2, I mean, with, you know, I mean, a, a random nacelle, you know, hurdles down towards the earth and, and you know, ex explodes on impact just over the hill, you know, something like that. Now, one of the most exciting scoops to come from this live preview is the beta launch of the new Mac OS client for Star Trek Online. That is right, Captains! You can now go back to all of your friends that gave you the excuse, uh, does it run on a Mac? If it doesn't run on a Mac, then I can't play it. And then you can re-invite them all to play. Heck, I might even go out find Aaron Eisenberg's contact information and tell him to get off that dusty old World of Warcraft horse and start playing Star Trek Online. I think that's a pretty big announcement, Captains. It's another sign that Star Trek Online is continuing to grow and shows no signs of stopping. I mean, let's face it, how often does an MMO actually port their game for a Mac client? Yeah, if it doesn't, if it doesn't get released initially for Mac, it almost never happens. And the, the fact that they're willing to throw development hours and all the tech hours uh, added, I mean, is is a great sign that uh, you don't do that for a flagging game. Yep, you don't, you don't. I mean, even there are MMOs out now that still don't have a Mac client out there. So this is a big sign that Star Trek Online is in fact succeeding and, and continues to do, to do so. And I'm really glad. I think this is an, an amazing step in knowing that it's just nothing but awesome new stuff coming down the pipeline. Next thing is the gateway, improvements to the gateway, uh, which I'm really looking forward to. So, Captains, here is this week's community question. Will you start reinviting your Apple zombie friends to play Star Trek Online? Remember, you can remind them it's free to play, unlike most Apple products. This is Skiffy, audio engineer for Priority One Podcast, reminding you that the views expressed by Elijah regarding Macintosh users are not necessarily the views of Priority One Podcast. Captains, the Voth have sent a small fleet to try to capture one of the spires. Your orders are to stop them and secure it for the Alliance. Defeat the initial Voth attack and then prepare the spire for our landing troops. So far, the Voth haven't backed down from a fight, so expect them to reinforce their troops with landing parties. 
We can't allow the Voth to have access to the Spire. It's too dangerous. Our troops will be counting on you to keep the skies clear. Don't let them down. Happy hunting, Captain. Season 8, Devblog 16, introduces us to the new Storming the Spire 5 Captain 15-minute event. Designed for teams of level 50 captains and available in both normal and elite flavors, the Voth have launched an assault on a spire that Dyson Joint Command has been studying. Your mission is to stop the assault and protect allied troops as they retake the spire. This event rewards Dyson Sphere Marks based off the percentage of friendly troops on the spire at the end of the event. How many Voth shuttles were stopped, and if the Voth Dreadnought was destroyed. If it's the first Dyson Sphere themed event you've completed for the day, you will also be rewarded with a commendation that can be used to start the large Dyson Joint Command Reputation Project. I'm really looking forward to the Dyson reputation system. Brandon did a very good job at presenting an overview of what captains can expect with a new reputation. I really had a hard time wrapping my head around it, being told what it was, being described what it was, and then trying to read it. I just wasn't getting it. And so uh, I really enjoyed catching that um, during the Perfect World playthrough with Brandon on Twitch.tv. This is an STF-style event, right? It's a, it's a queued event that you sign up for. Normal and elite versions, A's out and marks. Yes, there are, uh, right now that I'm aware of, that I can count based on these show notes, there are two. So the second one is actually discussed in Season 8, Dev Blog number 17, when content designer Chris M. Rods Dodds introduces us to the massive, the immense, the huge, the gigantic, the gargantuan. Voth Fortress Ship! The new 5 Captain 30-minute ship event is definitely amazing in scale. Not only do you have to attack this massive ship from the outside, but then you gotta Luke Skywalker yourself inside and take it down. Elliot, did you see Jam Jams' Twitter post on yes. the scale of these of the ship in comparison to like countries and states? <laughs> right. That's no moon. It's yeah, yeah. This so Jam Jams uh, posted on Twitter a map comparison of a Voth fortress ship laying across San Francisco, laying across Ireland, laying across Tokyo. This thing is huge. This thing is massive. And if you if you haven't gone into Tribble and, and played this mission yet, uh, you can watch it on Twitch.tv at Perfect Worlds channel. Uh, but this thing is huge. And and links of course to Jam Jams' Twitter. Uh, post will be in the show notes. This thing is impressive. Season 8, Devblog 18. Environment artist Jeff Lieutenant Commander Miller introduces us to the new Federation ship interiors featured in the revamped Federation tutorial. One of the biggest criticisms of the game's ship interiors has been scaling and the overall feel of the ship interior design. Sure, it may be futuristic and spaceshipy, but it wasn't very Star Trek. Uh, but after looking at this one screenshot posted with the blog, uh, Devblog 18, I'm drooling. Absolutely drooling. Jeff writes that we can look forward to, one, dynamic hallways, two, a smaller, more compact feel. And he goes on to explain that the new design caters to both of these aspects while not losing the required specs for combat gameplay. And yes, the elusive curved hallways have made it in too. Uh, honestly, I just grew accustomed to the ship interiors. Uh, we had our first taste of better scaling with the Defiant, which was cool. That the Belfast bridge, I just absolutely, I use that bridge for everything that is in a Galaxy class now. Um, uh, but now we're seeing this one image. 
I realize that we've been missing, uh, missing that sense of scale. I've never been so excited to walk through a freaking hallway in a video game before. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the, the Origin Bridge, too. It's very sleek, very, very sexy. Uh, and, yeah, man, I, 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 I didn't even know that this was being worked on for Season 8 or anything after. I had no idea. I knew that they were doing the, the Federation tutorial. They were revamping that. But I didn't know that they were going this in-depth with it and they were actually going to build a new bridge and, and the hallways. And this one, just the one image, it just, I, I'm, I, let me walk. Just let me walk through it. Let me. I want to RP through these hallways now. That's really what I, I. I'm just so excited. I really am. I'm really excited. I'm so glad that they had the opportunity uh, to look at these hallways again. Um, I don't even care that they're curved or not. It just it it felt like a starship that I would I would be walking through the halls of a starship, whereas before it was it was sure it was spacey. Uh, and it kind of resembled a futuristic starship of sorts, but it was blocky. It was the size and, of a football field. Yeah, and it was huge too. Even when they, even when they re- when they had introduced ship interiors, it still didn't feel like a starship interior. No, it felt like the shuttle bay. I mean, just walking down down the hall. I mean, and I get that. I get camera angles and and you know having to have enough uh, enough room for the camera to pan all the way back if a player wants to pan all the way back without the camera clipping through the ship and out into space you know i mean i i, I get the restrictions there but but i'm so glad they finally decided to spend spend some time and energy and and money putting that together because what a boon for immersion and yes. and and being a lifelong uh, Trekkie and Trekker, I wanna, I want to roam the curvy hallways of my well-appointed Starfleet-esque designed cruiser, and and just stroll around and get that feeling. I mean, ha- half the conversations in the episodes happened in hallways, you know, yep. um, and uh, you know, I want that feeling. I want, I, I really want my Star Trek simulator. I understand there's only so far cryptic can go with that but uh but this is this is a, a huge step in the right direction for me now are they gonna is this gonna be are they suggesting that this is going to be available for your own ship or is it just the tutorial it is will eventually be available in your own ship but not for season eight in a post by brand flakes himself it looks like only the origin bridge will be available with the launch of season eight the hallways, however, look like they'll come out on a future update. Uh, links to that post will, of course, be in the show notes uh, where Brandon explains that. Uh, so, Sad Panda uh, will only see the hallways, it looks like, in the new Federation tutorial. We'll eventually get our hallways, and I'm really looking forward to it. All right, Captains, up next, we have a special field note segment with Matthew 486DX as he enlightens us on the better practices of player versus environment area of effect attacks I'm sure there is an answer well better get some facts alright captains joining us for this episode's field notes is Matthew 486DX and he's about to drop a knowledge bomb on PVE AOE damage versus direct damage so we'll be discussing what's better cannon scatter volley cannon rapid fire what about beam overload versus beam fire at will Matthew thank you very much for joining us this episode glad to be here good to be back again it's been too long it has been too long indeed my friend too long indeed alright so give us a brief overview of what you're going to be discussing uh, today 
this has been something that's been a passion of mine for a while, mainly because I, f I feel like this is more effective. At least in PvE. Everyone always talks about PvP, where, you know, you're targeting one person, or multiple people are targeting one person, focusing as much damage as possible for the best effectiveness. I think you can make a build that is more effective in PvE than a PvP build. And that's what I'm here to talk about today. Alright, awesome. Now, Captains, there is going to be a nice little uh, slideshow presentation that will be available for this episode's post on PriorityOnePodcast.com, so be sure uh, to visit our website and download that so that you can follow along at home. Yep, and I'd like to go over the slides one at a time, so if you're listening to the podcast, download it at a computer, you can kind of get an idea of what we're talking about visually as we go through. Now, we will be talking about numbers that uh, Matthew has parsed using Advanced Combat Tracker, which is a program that we have discussed here before on Priority One Podcast. Uh, so again, these are numbers that uh, you'll find on the slide, and you can try to experiment yourself uh, by downloading the program. Yes, uh, in this case, some of the numbers I used were not base stats, but were actually stats applied from the way I have my build set up, um, and I will freely make my builds available to anyone who asks. Alright, so let's jump right in. Let's go ahead and start with the, uh, the first slide here. Alright, well the first actual slide of uh, information here we have is some things you should know. Uh, as Elijah already mentioned, the thing, last thing on the list, ACT, Advanced Combat Tracker. You'll see oftentimes in place uh, ACT instead of the full written out words. Um, DPS, Damage Per Second, also associated with the Combat Tracker. Uh, DPS is effectively is the main drivers in PvQ'd uh, content um, because of a lot of people complain this is a DPS-based game, not as much effort put into tanking. So what we'll be focusing on is how to do as much DPS as possible in PvE. And the way that we want to do that is area of effect, where you're doing damage to more than one target at a time. And of course, PvE, what does that all mean? And some people call it player versus enemy, player versus environment. Effectively, it means player versus computer, artificial intelligence, obstacles, etc. Essentially, for instance, the Borg STFs. You're fighting against the Borg, you're not fighting against another player. So that's just some basics, some lingo to get caught up in case uh, you haven't catched one of the other episodes where they covered that. The third slide we have here uh, will be weapon power buffs. Like Elijah already mentioned, you have some comparisons with the energy weapons. Beam fire at will versus beam overload. Cannon scatter volley versus cannon rapid fire. Torpedoes and projectile weapons also have uh, variations. You have torpedo spread for an AoE power and torpedo high yield for a focus damage power. The next slide starts to weigh the benefits uh, of, of area of effect uh, damage. Let's talk a little bit about that. All right. Effectively, uh, AoE is not going to just straight up do more damage. It's only going to do a more total sum of damage, but it's spread among multiple targets. You'll see later in some of the notes where if you're firing on only one target in your weapons arc, um, in targeting range effectively, you're going to be doing less damage. That is a con. But if you are firing at two or more targets, the sum of your overall damage output is going to be higher. With so much what they call spam, like carrier pets, uh, targetable torpedoes, bio-normal warheads, for example, 
heavy, heavy high-yield plasma torpedoes, frigates, all these small things, as well as the bigger targets flying around for you to fight. You got a lot of stuff to shoot at. And it's a lot less to focus on if you're shooting at more than one at a time automatically. You know, there is one thing that I notice on here in the, that is not on the cons list. And that is, with an area of effect, you're also going to aggro. Aggro being aggravate a lot more NPCs uh, to fire at you. And when you're an escort, that can sometimes be a bit of a problem. And I find that um, to be the case when I'm using, for instance, cannon scatter volley. That's an excellent point you bring up. When you are using AoE abilities, you are going to generate more threat because whenever you shoot a target, it has the potential to want to shoot you back. I mean, who wouldn't? This can be an issue if you're playing solo, trying to queue with pickup groups. Um, but in a perfect world, hopefully, um, you're playing with a team and you have somebody set up specifically to be a tank to grab aggro for you, like a cruiser. And with the new cruiser combo ray abilities, one of them is the threat generation ability, which I think is a fantastic addition to the game. Um, and it also lowers the threat generation of nearby ships, uh, such as escorts, when they're close to that cruiser using that ability. There's also special consoles that can be acquired from the Romulan um, starbase holding, which can lower threat generation by about 60-some percent per console. And that can help lower the risk. I think everybody should have at least one copy of Hazard Emitters, no matter what ship you're flying. That's just how I, could, how I roll. That way you can heal yourself or an ally if necessary. And it, while an escort isn't normally thought to be a healer, desperate times call for desperate measures. And there are no more desperate times when you're fighting the Borg or potentially our new enemies, the Voth. Let's get into the two variations of the power. So let's first talk about beams. You've got beam fire at will, the AOE attack, and then you have beam overload, which is a hyper-focused uh, direct energy assault on one particular target. Yep, and this is probably the perfect example of the biggest skew in damage for energy weapons. Um, the cannon abilities are a little bit better balanced, I feel. Uh, the biggest difference between beam overload and beam fire at will is beam fire at will will work on as many beam weapons as you have mounted on your ship. Beam Overload only uses the next beam weapon that fires. So you can have one beam on your ship, whether it's a beam array or a beam dual bank, um, and effectively you're doing the same amount of DPS with Overload no matter what. Um, whether you're using one, two, three, four, or up to eight beam weapons on your ship, it's going to drastically change how much damage Fire at Will can do because it's going to affect all of those weapons. I've also found that it's not fair. Like, I feel like if, if you're going to say the average ship has at least six beam arrays for a cruiser, or there are beam escorts out there as well, the amount of damage you're going to output with Fire at Will, even if you use Fire at Will level 1 or Fire at Will level 2, is still going to do way more damage than Overload 3. The Overload can do higher spike damage, um, especially if you fly a tactical captain with that power. Um, I've seen critical hits as high as, like, 50,000, but that's a very, very specific scenario, and it's not something you're going to be able to repeat all the time, where Fire at Will is more consistent. The downside of Fire at Will is it will fire literally at everything within targeting range. So the more targets in range, the less damage you're doing to your individual targets. Um, 
So if there's like literally like 50 targets in range, you're going to hit each target like once maybe. And that's not going to do a lot of damage, but it might grab a bit of aggro. Thus taking fire away from your escorts, and you're using your cruiser for, for the fire at will. If you're using fire at will, your best bet is to be a cruiser tank build as opposed to an escort fire at will build. Although they are feasible, you're likely to get killed a lot. It happened to me. So what kind of DPS are we talking about here for a beam boat? Somebody running anywhere between six to eight beams. In my experience, um, as an engineering captain, I love to run eight beams. Um, I've experimented with different levels, but effectively, it's pretty much like anywhere from 800 to 1,000 DPS per beam if you run a copy of Fire at Will 1 and a copy of Fire at Will 2. And you cycle them constantly because they have a global shared cooldown of 15 seconds and a total cooldown of 30 seconds. So every 15 seconds you activate the power, it goes for 10 seconds and then shuts off for 5 seconds, you're not using it, and then you've, after that 5 seconds is up, you can use the second one again and cycle through constantly. Especially as an engineering captain, um, there have been a lot of speculation into uh, drain reduction for beams is a lot more effective than drain reduction for cannons. So like if you take an escort with Nadion inversion and engineering captain power, beams will actually do more damage than they would with cannons because beams fire more frequently than cannons do. So beams may fire five times per cycle and cannons may fire one or two times per cycle. And every time a cycle happens, that's when you see your power level dip. I'm I'm trying I'm trying to uh, get my head around around that math. Uh, could you run run that down one more time? You're talking about the the every time the weapon cycles, you're you're getting a net savings because because of using something like Nadion inversion, and 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 that. So how does that net out to higher DPS? The major difference between how beams and cannons work is, especially dual-heavy cannons that are so popular, is dual-heavy cannons probably fire twice a cycle. A cycle would be, say your weapons are not on auto-fire, and you press the fire all phasers button once, or you click on your weapon icon once. It might fire twice, over like a five-second period, say, just for baseline. Um, as opposed to a beam weapon, where if you did the same thing, press the button once, your beam would actually fire once per second, five times over five seconds. So every time that weapon fires, you're draining power from your weapon's power uh, stat on your ship. The actual point level that your power is at the moment the weapon fires determines how much damage it does, or a bonus to the damage. So if you fire it the first time, your weapon power is at 125. It gets damage for that mount. And then the second second it fires, the weapon power went down to, say, 120. And then it gets the damage marker for that power level, which is 5 points lower, 10% lower than the 125, because it's 2% per point. And then the third second, again, if you don't have anything to boost the power level back up, it's going to be at 115, and then you're going to get the damage for that power level. So, and this is all happening in three seconds. 
whereas the cannons, your power transfer rate percentage is another stat in your ship that helps replenish that power when it goes back up after firing weapons. And cannons regroup from that a lot easier than beams, because they're not firing as often, so you've got three seconds where you're not firing a weapon, and the power just goes back up, and it's not a big deal. So that's where those buffs like Nadion Inversion and the Cruiser Weapons Comma Ray ability, where it reduces your energy damage by 25%, will help greatly, because you're not draining as much every second, whereas you, you don't with cannons. There's a really good forum post for that that we can we can put in. Um, that was actually what I read that made me understand it. I found a forum post that explained how uh, proverbial, they call it um, a soft cap, though overcapping the 125 weapon power by, say, firing off a weapons battery at 100 power. Uh, it doesn't give you 200 weapons power, but if you use up some, it doesn't drain it as much. It's so like if you go negative 50 power because you have 5 beams, um, it's actually still at 125 because you have excess power to deal with. And the higher your power at the point of firing the weapon, the, the better your damage potential will be. Exactly. Uh, looking at slide number six, beam fire at will specifically. Um, this is an estimation of how much DPS you'll do from these four powers. Um, beam fire at will one and two, and pa emergency power to weapons twice. Whether it's two copies of one, one copy of one, one copy of two, or whatever combination will work just as well, more or less. Um, as well as an engineering captain over the course of an STF. Uh, if you use six beam arrays, you're looking at about 4,000 DPS. If you use eight beam arrays, you're looking at about 7,000 DPS, just from using two copies of fire at will, combined with emergency power to weapons. And this is something that I've been testing over the past year with my main character. That's a lot of DPS for only having a lieutenant tactical station in a cruiser. Yeah, I can... I can... Confirm that anecdotally. I mean, that's I, I do. I fly uh, uh, cruisers with uh, as an engineering captain, and I all uh, I always do the the dual fire at will um, with eight beam banks. And let me tell you, I just I've never been never been happier with a build. A, a close second is uh, uh, single cannons in front and turrets in back. Yeah, that's also not a bad build on a cruiser. I've tried it sparingly. Uh, it's something I do want to look at doing again sometime. Alright, moving on to slide number seven, beam overload itself. Um, okay, I haven't tested this as extensively as I have fire at will, but that's mainly because every time I tested it, it paled in comparison. Because two tactical powers can get me 7,000 DPS with fire at will. I wonder what overload can get me every 15 seconds. So you run overload one and overload two. And with a beam array, DPS was just cringeworthy in comparison. Like, maybe those two powers got me at most 1500 DPS in comparison to a maximum of 7000. Again, the main difference coming from it's only affecting one beam array as opposed to eight, and it's one shot versus increased damage over 10 seconds. 
Also, a lot hinges on you timing your emergency power to weapons or weapons batteries, either like just before or and and or just after firing the shot, because every time you fire beam overload, it takes 50 points away from your weapon power until the transfer rate or some other buff replenishes that power. So you're lowering your damage of your normal weapons fire for, you know, sometimes maybe 15-20 seconds after that power goes off if your transfer rate's low. So that will also lower your DPS. It's almost counterproductive. So what I'm hearing is that my five dual beam bank build for my Avenger with the two copies of overload, uh, of uh, beam array overload, is, is just the math is never going to work in my favor on that. Quite possibly not. Unless you're a tactical captain, and like I said, you load up on a lot of buffs that can boost your weapon power, like the emergency power to weapons, the batteries, just about anything you can think of. Uh, let me ask you this. I know you said you haven't run this one quite as much, but if you could speculate, take an, take an educated guess. So when you're talking about sustained damage on a high hit point target, right? Like, say, a tactical cube and an STF or something like that. That spike damage that happens if you're if you're all set to crit, right? Um, that spike damage with an overload times two build, basically, that competitive? Would you think it would be? I would say five beam dual banks on an Avenger is a bad idea. If you're gonna do a build like that, you only need one dual bank, and then you can plop on some cannons and you're laughing. That's the whole point of Overload, because it's only going to affect one of those five beam arrays at any given time. It's just whatever one is going to fire next. And if you do it that way with only one bank, that is effective and competitive, I would say. Quite possibly, because that can supplement other damage you're already doing. You're not sucking the power away with the other four beam banks. Not nearly as much. It's still going to take away 50 points, but beams in general are just power-hungry. More so than cannons, especially if you're using dual heavies. If you use single cannons and turret, and turrets are also well, turrets don't draw as much power because they're minus eight instead of minus ten. Turrets fire almost as quickly as beams, but they do fire slower. And then uh, if you use single cannons, they're they're almost the equivalent of dual banks. I think dual banks fire slower as well, but I'm not 100% sure. Let me ask this though: What about performance over distance? Well, that's an excellent point you bring up. Uh, beam arrays also do hold up better damage o over the long haul, being far away from your target uh, versus cannons. Uh, a cannon at 10 kilometers, or 9.99, whatever you have to do to be within weapons range, will do about 40% of their normal damage at max range, whereas within 2 kilometers they do 100%, or anything less than 2 kilometers they do 100%. Beam arrays still maintain 70 to 80 percent of their damage at 9.9 .9 kilometers yeah that's really impressive there's a really good blog post um that somebody did some extensive testing on this probably sometime in season two um but i don't have any reason to believe that this math has changed it's a pretty huge thing to think about and and i always try to keep this in mind whenever i'm playing because and if every once in a while i've uploaded videos to youtube and if you watch me play my tactical captain, my favorite, my Ben Sisko, spelled like the networking company, uh, with my Defiant, then I'm nose deep in a tactical cube or a regular cube all the time, whenever possible, for maximum damage. That's great to know. That that actually kind of changes how I'm how I'm going to approach builds. 
from now on. Yes. And fun fact, as far as anyone knows, torpedoes have absolutely no drop-off. Something else to think about, and we'll get to that later. Well, I think we've pretty extensively covered beams, and we know why one way is better than the other for particular situations. Um, beam overload is also, like we talked about before, with the cannons combined with a dual bank. That's very commonly used in PvP for spike damage, where spike damage is better than consistent damage output, and that's a perfectly legitimate build. But in PvE, it's... Spike damage doesn't always mean a whole lot, unless you're doing... Trackobolts, which even they have been nerfed. So I digress from that. Let's move on to cannons. And while my main is engineering, I've found a love just as much for running escorts. I've actually got two engineering captains and four tactical captains now of my like six or eight characters, so it's it's become a new devotion. Cannons, I feel like, are the most balanced thing in the game. This actually makes sense. I like it. So, let's dive in here. Cannon Rapid Fire increases your damage output to a single target. Cannon Rapid Fire 1 will boost your damage by 30% for 10 seconds. 2 will do it by 40% for 10 seconds. Cannon Rapid Fire 3, which by the way is a commander level ability only obtained by a tactical captain training their bridge officer, uh, does 50% more damage for 10 seconds. That's some pretty good increase in damage, but it's only to a single target. So there's that. Like, if you've got three spheres coming at you, and you're only shooting at one, that one dies, the other two finish you off. And, well, that, that, I mean, that makes sense in keeping with the, uh, you know, the, the classic MMO trinity, right? I mean, your direct damage dealer is typically going to focus on single target direct damage, and, you know, try to crit high and, and try to do, you know, steadily high DPS and, um, uh, is there no place for that part of the trinity in, in Stowe, do you think, or, or, uh... I suppose there is, but I, I think they really need to work on the trinity more, because I, I really feel like science is the third wheel that's really left out these days. If you talk about trinity in the other major MMO, they have tank, pretty much. Like, tank is a thing, then healer is a thing, and it's completely separate, and then you have the DPS. So the three players, tank, heal, DPS. That's your trinity as far as I'm aware. But with Stowe, really the best healers and tanks together is engineering. Where does that leave science? Debuff? Spellcaster? Power control? Yeah, but it, apart from the new buffs to Gravity Well, or the fixes to Gravity Well, which are fantastic, I mean, I feel like the other powers are lacking because they were nerfed for PvP. Right. What I would really like to see is what they've done with the ground. If you look at a lot of tooltips on weapons and ground gear, it'll say half duration versus player, or half duration or, you know, or half effectiveness versus player. I think we need to see some of that for powers in space because there's these board cubes shooting torpedoes at us to do 200,000 damage where are we ever going to see that in PvP? we're not so we need to have abilities that scale with whatever we're doing and I think what they've done with ground is great and they should apply that to space and then we wouldn't have so many people crying about how science has been nerfed into oblivion and in my opinion it has 
Like, the... And there's another argument with science, too, where tactical captain powers can buff the damage that science abilities do. So there were people getting over 100k crits with Photonic Shockwave 3, because they were a tactical captain flying an Intrepid. So they nerfed that to the point where it's... It does, like, 10,000 damage now. It has a one-minute cooldown. And they also nerfed the duration of the disable uh, portion of that power as well, because of PvP. Or if you could disable a player for 10 seconds, it's really easy to kill them. If you disable a cube for 10 seconds, you're probably dead by then. So, that's a whole other argument, but that's just something that I think is a problem. I think I steered us off course there, but uh, but no, that's ag agreed. There's, there's. Uh, I think it's fair to say that there's a lot of room for growth of the Trinity, and I, th I think there's still a, a lively argument about whether or not the Trinity is the end all be all. Um, but uh, but it, you know you can't you can't argue with the fact that it works as a mechanic. This is true, and and Stone is by all rights you know shouldn't be cookie cutter easily. It should have its own Trinity, and, and if it did have better debuff slash crowd control reworkings, um, I, I think it could be a nice setup. And it still can be. You get somebody with gravity well, and it can affect these abilities we're able to talk about, and I'll touch upon that when we get there. So what I like most about the AoE versus focus target is cannons. Unlike the beams and unlike the torpedoes, I feel like they've found a very good balance. I just went over the damage output that Cannon Rapid Fire can do. In comparison, Cannon Scatter Volley does 20% damage for level 1 power, 25% more damage from the level 2 power, and 30% more damage from the level 3 power. Obviously these numbers are a lot lower than the 30, 40, or 50. But keep in mind, this damage could be dealt to either 1, 2, or 3 targets. So if you look at slide number 10, Cannon Scatter Volley. With Scatter Volley, if you fire on one target, you're doing 50% less damage than Rapid Fire. Ouch. If you're firing at two targets, your cannons are dealing as much damage as Rapid Fire, but split in half to two targets. So you're not really doing more damage. You're doing the same amount, but you're hitting more than one thing at a time. Which can have its advantages. Like, say for example, if two birds of prey are about to hit the Kang and kill it and fail the mission, and you need to take them both out at exactly the same time, that's an effective tactical advantage. Which happens a lot. Now, when you're firing at three targets, their total damage output is actually more than rapid fire if you have three targets in your arc. This can be difficult to do with dual heavies because it's only 45 degrees in front of your ship, but if you have gravity well, that will pull in a clump of targets closer and you can deal a lot of damage at once. Especially if you start blowing them up, chained warp core breaches in a small pack like that will then do more damage and just you can kill like six or seven spheres in like 30 seconds this way. Now, the, the whole thing is automated though, so it's not, the player has no control over how many targets, it, it essentially sprays out at the area and whatever it hits, it hits. There's a cone of sorts, and within that cone, are the targets that it's going to hit. Exactly. Of course it's going to hit the target that you actually click on, and then any two other targets in the range, in that cone, will be hit. Um, 
In my experience, the game is a little weird. Um, but I've noticed that even if you have like turrets on your aft, they will still only fire at targets within your DHC's dual heavy cannons firing arc. So like if you have one target in front of you and a target like behind you, I've never seen turrets fire behind you and in front of you at the same time. I, ho I hope that maybe someday that's a math thing that we can work out with the code. Because I feel like turrets should be able to fire at anything within range. Also, the same problem has happened with the wide arc torpedo, with torpedo spread. It will still only fire torpedo spread at targets within 90 degrees, as opposed to the increased arc of 180 degrees for the torpedo that comes with the Sovereign refit. But that's probably a game mechanic that could be looked at someday. Yeah, that would be fantastic, to have turrets that behaved more like your classic conception of a turret. Exactly. So cannons, pretty cut and dry. They look sound and look like they're working as intended and they're not necessarily overpowered when you're firing on three targets at once. It's like a 30% buff. Otherwise, you're either looking at a 50% loss at a single target attack, or an e a wash in even exchange for a two-target attack for the overall sum of your damage output. And that's great. I like it. Torpedoes. My next slide. We start with 11. Full spread. Because this seems a little skewed. Torpedo high yield. High yield 1 will fire 2 torpedoes at a target. High yield 2 will fire 3 torpedoes. High yield 3 will fire 4 torpedoes at one target. Torpedo spread 1 fires 3 groups or clusters of 2 torpedoes, up to 3 potential targets. Um, 4 targets potential for torpedo spread 2 of 3 torpedoes each. And then Torpedo Spread 3 fires 5 groups of 4 torpedoes at your targets. So if you have 5 targets within a 9 degree targeting arc for Torpedo Spread 3, you can hit them all with 4 torpedoes. I don't know why Torpedo Spread hits more targets than can the Scatter Volley. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Now granted, the, f the circumstances where you're going to have five targets within range in that narrow arc of 90 degrees is relatively limited. But it does happen, especially with gravity well on a teammate. So let's like, say, for example, uh, high yield 3 with a quantum torpedo with the buffs that I have and the skills on my escort uh, would deal a total of 21,000 damage over four torpedoes and I can fire that off every 15 seconds if I run two copies of it. Overall, that adds 1400 DPS to my build, because if that consistently hits an unshielded target. Which in STFs, there are a lot of unshielded targets, generators, transformers, and gateways, which if you add them up, especially let's say for example Kinemar Accord where there's two gateways, four transformers, and 16 generators, that's like four million some hit points worth of unshielded targets you've got to hit. So firing torpedoes happy and forgetting about energy weapons really isn't that big of a deal when you're fighting the Borg. Torpedo spread three. The damage breakdown I have on the slide here is pretty obvious. Again, going back to five targets all the time, unlikely. But if that did happen, you'd be looking at like 5,000 DPS from two powers. But that's and still split between five targets. Yes, but you're looking at like 1,800 damage to five targets. 
And if you have like a team of three or four people doing this, all at the same time, that's a lot of decimation. So in comparison, if you are shooting five targets with kinetic damage of 5,333, right? If you divide that by five, each... Alright, so each target, yeah. Each target is getting hit... With 1,000 DPS. Right, about 1,000 DPS. Whereas, with torpedo high yield... The target's getting hit with 1,400 DPS. With 1,400, but it's still... It's five targets getting hit with 1,000 DPS. Yeah, so if you're talking about trying to take out as many targets as once as possible, right. you, the sum of the damage is higher. Well, and then you see, you know, the, the, when it boils down to it, is that you also see this a lot when you are uh, running the no-win scenario build. You know, the no-win scenario escort build is launch a gravity well, tractor beam repulsor, and when they're all stuck in there, use a complete barrage of AoE attacks, and you essentially cut through them like a hot knife through butter. If you if you need proof of this in concept, then try that no one scenario build on on your escort. You know, um, I'm currently flying the Mobius destroyer, so I've got my science with uh, with a gravity well tractor beam repulsor. Fire those two off, push them all in, keep them stuck in there, and then cannon scatter volley. I don't have torpedo spread, but I definitely have cannon scatter volley. I cut through that group that's trapped in my gravity well like a hot knife through butter, and the gravity well is adding some kinetic damage there too. Um, but which bypasses you know, shields. Right. So, captains, if you know you're looking for a proof of concept as to why AOE performs better than directed attacks, I encourage you to try the no-win scenario. Yeah, and there's there's tons of spam with a no-win scenario, especially right. depending on what kind of item uh, enemies you fight. But most of them have fighter pets, the targetable torpedoes. The bionic warheads come from the side of the map, no matter what you play. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff to hit all at once. And I think if anything. If, if you want to run a directed attack, try rapid fire with torpedo spread. Because torpedo spread really doesn't do that much less damage than high yield. If anything, it does more just because of the fact that it can hit more targets. Like, even if you use torpedo spread 1, you're, you're hitting th three targets with two torpedoes. As opposed to hitting one target with two torpedoes. I just seen, And that is an ensign level power. Which, everybody is always about, especially with an escort, you have the Defiant. You have three ensign slots. Some people don't even use the third ensign slot. Because there's nothing, quote-unquote, good to put there. So, sacrifice a turret. Plop an half torpedo in there with torpedo spread. Try that out, you might like it. Oh, that's a great idea, because I have run into that exact same situation many times where it's like, well... I really want to, you know, if there's a Lieutenant Universal and an Ensign Universal and a Lieutenant Commander Tactical or something, and I, I really want to get, you know, my, I, I really want to do my level 2 or level 3 powers in those two skill sets, but then it leaves you with that random third, and if you're running a cannon build, you know, what do you have, three copies of Tac Team, I guess, so then what do you put there? You know, I, that is a great, great solution for that. Yeah, especially if you do happen to have the wide-angle tor quantum torpedo from the Sovereign. That's a great aft weapon. 
All right, captains, be sure to test this out. You can follow the guide, uh, which will be linked on the show notes for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Matthew, again, thank you so very much for joining us again this episode and schooling us on uh, the best way to take advantage of AOE powers. Definitely. Glad to be here. And uh, if anyone has any questions, feel free to contact me on Twitter or in-game. At handles the same as my Twitter, Matthew4060X. Thank you again so very much. And captains, be sure to reach out to Matthew4060X if you have any additional questions or reach us uh, at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Episode 148. We got uh, quite a bit of feedback from last week's show. There's uh, a lot to talk about. Ugami87 writes, uh, In response to the podcast question, it is unclear to me if the new rep layout will fix the grind. Personally, the Omega rep has never felt like a grind because you can get from 80 to 120 marks within tw- a 20-minute mission. The others don't have that abundance of marks that can be repeated many times a day, and therefore you are faced to grind the missions much more. A simple balance uh, to mark flow would fix this, in my opinion. Well, I, from what I saw in the live preview, essentially you play the mission, you get the one mark, and then that mark will apply towards the, the one Dyson reputation mark, and then that will trigger the new project. Right, and then after 20 hours, the project gives you a lot more reputation marks than you would have normally received in, for instance, Omega. So I think what they're trying to do is is not so much cut the grind of having to play the missions, but the grind of having to find hypos and large shield packs and uh, provisions and all that stuff. Where I would have to constantly go to Andoria or right outside of Space Talk and talk to that trader that's there to try to get these items and, and spend money, spend EC on these items. I guess when they first introduced it, it was it was just trying to find a, a sink for energy credits. That's what I was going to say is what am I going to do with all my EC now? Yeah, I, you know, well, you can buy ships on the exchange. Um, but, yeah, this is really – I think this is more designed to cut that out than anything else and then also get you through the ranks faster um you know again it took me it took me seeing it to really understand it so i encourage you to check out that uh, season a preview that brandon put together on twitch.tv up next ilcadia writes no no if they balance the mark flow they'll they'll just make omega like all the others with stfs granting like 10 marks a piece that would be painful it, I guess, but, you know, again, I'm, I'm looking forward to, um, I think that, I don't know, I guess I just have to get my hands on the reputation yeah. system and really, to really understand it. USS Ultimatum. No one complains about Omega Rep because, to put it bluntly, it doesn't suck so hard trying to get marks in one sitting. You don't actually go any faster because all reps currently have the same time requirements. The other two reps, on the other hand, are truly awful for getting marks in the types of content a player might like to enjoy. At the very least, ROM rep has bunny touching to keep the marks flow going, so whoever on the dev team developed that deserves a sloppy wet kiss, not from me. So it's kind of hard to tell if the new rep system will alleviate anything. 
The main thing that will be a hugely welcome addition is the new tokens that will help fast-track alternate characters using the T5 status of a different character. I think he means to say, at least we can say this, uh, will reduce the grind. Yeah, I, I didn't know, I don't know how I felt about using the T5 status for, for alts. I, I, you know, I'm always a curmudgeon when something like this first comes up, and then uh, a month later, I'm a huge fan. Ranger XML writes, I have an NVIDIA 3D surround set with three 27-inch monitors. While I love the game across three screens, the 3D part, not so great because of issues with shadows and anti-aliasing, which, if left on, can be quite headache-inducing. Also, the UI is not flexible in terms of adjusting to multiple resolutions like Notebook 720p, Desktop 1080p, with one display, and Desktop with three displays. All I can save is one HUD. So... I just find myself setting up for the 1080p display and leaving it at that. So, you know, we talked about last week, you know, the, the Star Trek Online 2.0 thing. Um, but the, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, in, in terms of MMO lifespan, Star Trek Online is still very, very young. Uh, and and yet still the new kid on the block, right? Because in, in most cases, an MMO... It either starts strong and keeps going strong, or it starts strong and then it fades out very quickly. But, you know, I, I don't think that Star Trek Online yet needs a STO 2.0 in any way, shape, or form. Sure, they can go back and, and remaster some of the old missions, but I still think that it's, a, it's competitive. I think it's very competitive in the MMO market. Speaking of a Mac client, uh, Richard Grant from Facebook finally can quit using buggy wineskin. Arc makes sense from their point of view. Instead of maintaining multiple clients, they can just have one system. I like them to add some social media and feature some key people in the community like P1, thank you, thank you very much, uh, and establish foundry producers. Um, yeah, that, that would be awesome, to have a community channel in Arc. Yeah, sure. You know, I think Tony's vocalized that he's not a fan of the new Arc system. Uh, he would just love to have a standard client. Uh, and I'm not a fan of the Arc system either. Um, I have installed and launched the game through Steam because Steam is, in my opinion, one of the most robust gaming portals uh, on the PC. You know, the ability to download things. Uh, you know, I don't have to wait in line for a midnight release of something. I'll just get it right on Steam when it when it launches. Um, and for for them to make the decision to pull away from steam and, and try to launch their own thing you know i maybe it might make sense on on in the eastern market i don't know how well it's going to be received on a, on in our market here where people where pc gamers either install the client on their own or through the company or through steam they get it through steam but uh but we'll see you know i i'm gonna hold strong to steam and my standalone client that i still have a copy of fortunately uh, so, um, you know, we'll see how long they'll start. They'll keep letting me log in that way. Captains, every week we get new followers and so many retweets, so many mentions on Twitter. And especially these last few weeks, thank you to Mission Log Podcast and everyone else who has provided ongoing support on the daily voting for this year's podcast awards. Thank you so very much. You know, we very much appreciate you voting for us every day and, and spreading the news out to your friends. Thank you so very much. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show or submit your responses for our community question in the comments section for this episode, on the STO forum post for this episode, 
Tell us, will you start reinviting your Apple zombie friends to play STO? Remember, it's free to play. Unlike anything else Apple has to offer. <laughs> well, that wraps up episode 149, recorded live on trekradio.net. Remember, every Thursday night we are live, recording on Trek Radio starting at 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific. As you know, Captains, we love hearing from you, our loyal listeners. If you have a suggestion, idea, or topic for any of our segments, or should you have any general feedback about this episode, our email address is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Don't forget... Our community question this week is, will you start reinviting your Apple friends to play Star Trek Online? Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STO priority one. Remember, visit podcastawards.com daily until November 15th and cast your vote for Priority One Podcast in this year's ninth annual Podcast Awards. Also, don't forget to support a friend of Priority One. Check out Splatter Studios' Trek-inspired canvas art by visiting their eBay store. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. Special thanks to Matthew486DX for walking us through the best methods for maximizing your DPS potential in PvE combat. Thanks to the entire team behind PriorityOnePodcast.com, including the latest addition to the team, our audio engineer and now audio miracle worker, Skiffy, and our editor-in-chief, Kate. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. To our syndication partner, Subspace Radio, Black Star Radio, and Trek Radio. Special thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, our listeners. Without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Not the weekly show, not the nominations, and not potentially winning this year's podcast awards. Thank you for your support. Red alert. Shields up. Engage. Transfer complete.